Hello, thank you for listening to the Kind Mind Podcast. This is Todd Fink. This episode is called From Harm to Harmony. It was recorded earlier this summer at the first Kind Mind Gathering in Peru, Illinois, hosted by Unwind Spa at West Clocks and organized by my friend and fellow musician, Kevin Roy Kramer. We hope to do this again, so please keep in touch and look for new dates on the website, michaeltoddfink.com or on social media at michaeltoddfink. It's a strange and painful time to be talking about Steps for Harmony when in the news in the past week our attention has been drawn to high-profile acts of violence and crime from the mass shootings in Dayton and El Paso to the continued revelations of sex trafficking of mega-millionaire Jeffrey Epstein and all of the confusion and corruption that may be covered up with his recent apparent suicide. So a lot of my conversations in this past week with colleagues and friends and other acquaintances have revolved around how to deal with this type of violence in America. I believe there's been around 250 mass shootings in 2019, and we still have four months to go. The past weekend also included a mass shooting in Chicago. It wasn't talked about possibly because nobody died, but it met the criteria for a mass shooting. Most definitions are four or more wounded by gun violence. Seven people were injured. But this also speaks to some deeper issues in in terms of Chicago crime. I think there have been about 25 mass shootings in Chicago, which accounts for one in 10 in the country. I don't think enough is happening to understand What's at the core of of violence in Chicago? I believe more than 1,400 people have been shot this year. So thousands and thousands of people have been shot and thousands have been killed in the 21st century in Chicago alone. I don't think people really want to think about this in, in a deeper way. I don't have answers to these problems. In fact, I have more questions to ask, but I think that asking the right questions is important for getting closer to solutions. Why are many of these shootings in Chicago confined to just a few neighborhoods? I think we need to look at the challenges, the limitations, the history of racism and discrimination in Chicago, and some of the other mass shootings are motivated by extreme racism. And so another question is, Is racism itself a mental illness, or could it be considered at least a symptom of a mental disorder? I came across an interesting article in the Western Journal of Medicine that says, yes, extreme racism at least can be a delusional symptom of psychotic disorders, but is not explicitly a mental illness. Now, of course, this also raises other complications because could somebody defend themselves with a plea of mentally ill due to racism? Also, I'm wondering how appropriate is it to continue to bring up mental illness every time there is a mass shooting? I've looked at some other statistics, and mental illness is not associated with mass shootings as as often as we would like to believe. There's also the risk of creating more stigma around mental illness, because I think it influences the public to think that people who have a mental illness are dangerous. Well, more than one out of four or five people have a mental illness, and no, not everybody with a mental illness is dangerous. 
But if that narrative continues to spread, it is probably more likely that people who need help won't seek it out, which would also inflame this problem. Most of the violent crime is committed by men, so I think we need to try to understand that more when we're just looking at mass shootings in schools. I think in the last 40-50 years, there's maybe only been one or two that involved a female shooter. So how would this picture look different and be treated if, say, 99% of all school shootings were perpetrated by white teenage girls? Or black teenage girls, for that matter. Now again, I don't think that that means that boys or men are inherently violent. I think we also have to ask how we define healthy masculinity and recognize toxic masculinity. For example, I think in past decades, masculinity wasn't so much defined by what it is you ought to be, but stereotypically what you want to avoid. Like, don't be weak, don't be like a girl, uh, don't be gay. And so these kind of messages have become toxic for boys growing up, knowing that, well, if I express my emotion here, will it be seen as weak? If I tell my friends I love them, will it be seen as gay? And so some psychologists have identified these environmental factors as impediments to emotional intelligence. As far as guns are concerned, in terms of keeping Americans safe, statistics show that almost all Americans think that there needs to be revised gun laws. It makes sense to me that people shouldn't have access to military-style automatic weapons. And I do think that some people hold on to the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms, and the Constitution in general. I think people are a little too dogmatic with that, and we need to keep an open mind and keep evolving our documents. But I can also understand why many people would be afraid to ban all guns or make it difficult for any American to own a gun. I mean, especially if you have seen the show Handmaid's Tale, I think it's called. I've just watched a few episodes and I'm totally spooked and having nightmares, so I don't know if I can continue. I feel safe where I live outside of Chicago, but I don't know what it would be like to be a single parent or a single mother in a dangerous neighborhood in Chicago or somebody in a rural part of the country where they feel like if there was an intruder, it would take a long time for help to arrive. So when I'm thinking about these issues, I listen to people in different kinds of situations with different backgrounds. And then the other question I think we have to be asking reaches much deeper than the instruments of violence. But we have to keep asking, why do people want to harm other people? Why is there still racism and homophobia and misogyny? What will it take to overcome that and help people and communities who have already been traumatized to heal? Shifting to the Jeffrey Epstein case, he was a mega-millionaire, maybe billionaire, investor with lavish homes around the world and arrested for sex trafficking. He died over the weekend of apparent suicide 
And it's disturbing for a number of reasons. One, because the courageous women pursuing justice will not have their day in court. It's disturbing because people should not die in custody. With all of the connections to Jeffrey Epstein, from politicians to scientists to monarchs to CEOs, there's a lot of people that did not want to see this trial go forward. And that's a real scary thing in America. I don't know what else to say about it because it's still early and hopefully we'll get more clarity and the people who protected Epstein or were involved can be brought to justice. And But more importantly, I hope that the American people can understand what's behind this corruption of power and the connection for some between power and sexual abuse. There was a study done with sex offenders where they were primed with words associated with power, like they needed to fill in the blanks to discover what the word said, and it could be like authority, power, dominance. And then they found that when being primed in that way, they found the next woman that they looked at to be more attractive than they would have if the fill-in-the-blanks were neutral words. But anyways, I don't like talking about this stuff. It's super painful, and it shows that we have a long way to go to build a peaceful society and harmonious world. I'll shift now to something more positive. And harmony comes from Latin and Greek, harmonia. It means to fit together. And that's what I talk about in this podcast. Just some basic steps built around simple musical concepts. And I think music is a good metaphor for building harmony because it's the universal language. It draws people together peacefully. As a musician, I see myself as an agent of inclusivity. Music's also unique because it's formless and subtle. You can't see it or taste it or touch it, but you can hear it and feel it. It's had a profound impact on the history of science from Aristotle's poetic interpretation of the movement of celestial bodies in the cosmos as the music of the spheres to the Big Bang explanation of the origin of our universe, which is automatopoeia for a sound, and to today's cutting-edge investigation into the nature of reality, such as string theory, which forms one of the current models of the universe to explain how everything works. And the co-founder, theoretical physicist Michio Kaku, describes the universe as a symphony of vibrating strings. So it makes sense that we borrow a little of this musical magic on the personal and interpersonal planes to inspire ourselves to be leaders in this effort towards harmony and in our own way become conductors of symphonies, of family, of teamwork, of community, to make a difference, to be positively productive and create the conditions for world peace. All sound is vibration. All vibration is a frequency, which means a cycle. When you strike a string, it cycles up and down. Depending on how fast or slow that cycle, that determines the pitch. 
on the macro level, we have the cycles or music of heavenly bodies, such as the earth rotating on its axis, the moon orbiting the earth, the earth and moon together revolving around the sun. On our most recent album, Frequency of Love, we calibrated all the instruments to vibrate in a way that was more harmonious with these larger cycles. So each pitch is measured in hertz, which is cycles per second. So if you strike an A in the middle of a piano, that string will cycle up and down 440 times in one second. When we're looking at larger cycles like the earth and the moon, there is no completion in one second. So it's a very small fraction of a cycle in a second. But every time you double that frequency, you get what's called an octave. It's called an octave because in our scales, it is eight notes up. So to continue to double and double and double those very small fractions, you eventually bring a number into the range of human hearing. But in standard tuning, we do not harmonize with those tones. Because for whatever reason, 440 became the standard. I think it was so that orchestras could perform together from different parts of the world. But we started tuning our instruments to 444, slightly sharper, slightly brighter. And that allowed us to be able to perform music that actually harmonized well with the music, so to speak, of the spheres. The first time we did this, we started laughing in our rehearsal because we noticed something. We felt something. It felt good. And when we started performing in concert that way, audiences seemed to respond as well. Even though they were hearing the same songs, they would tell us something felt different. Anyways, this talk brings us into the level of psychology and purpose and meaning and what constitutes a well-lived life. I hope you enjoy. Once again, these are just my ideas. I'm very open to different ideas, and I welcome any feedback you may have, and hope to keep the conversation going. Thank you for listening. May this episode bring more harmony into your life. music has taught me so much about really about how the world could be. I didn't fully realize this until I had a dream and I was inspired to share this dream. When I was staying in India in 2005 and 2006 studying meditation in an ashram and in a monastery, I was mostly keeping quiet but then after a few months I was instructed to give a talk and I was really uncomfortable doing that because I thought, I'm not here to teach anything. I'm here to learn. But that was part of the rules, so I had to do it. Sitting up there and talking to this group of people who were also spiritual seekers, I had to just kind of rely on in intuition. I couldn't like go to the library. I had no phone, no internet, no electronics, no electricity, nothing. Just few clothes and a notebook. So I just thought about this dream and I thought about my life as a musician and what I had learned about harmony and spirituality. I said, I came to this symphony in the sky. It was like a symphony of musicians made out of light. 
And it felt like the symphony was really the world behind this world. And I saw all these players making beautiful music and everything was in the symphony except me. I was just observing it. And then I realized that life is like a grand symphony and there's all these parts to play and the instrument is our own body. But because we don't realize that everything that's happening actually goes together or fits together, there are different challenges, different problems to overcome. And so I thought, I need to figure out my own part in this music. How do you do that? Well, there are instructors and ultimately there's a conductor. So to me, the conductor is somebody that really knows the music well and can teach you your part, can help you understand your authentic score in this grand composition. So for me, I had a spiritual mentor, I had a meditation teacher, a monk trained me and really taught me how to live. I always saw him as the conductor, and this was for 15 plus years. People would, would ask me when I shared this, okay, where does God fit into this picture? Is the conductor God? And I'm like, well, maybe, maybe to some people. And maybe people see a physical form as manifestation of the divine. Or you could say maybe the composer was God. And then if that composer is Beethoven or Mozart, then that's God, metaphorically. But where can you find the composer and the music? You can't. And yet you can. Like, isn't the composer in every part, every note, everything you hear is infused with the consciousness of that author? There's different ways you could, you could think about this. And to realize your part, to play your part fully, could be like an awakening. And if you know your part so well, you have the space to become more than your part. Maybe even be a conductor. But, but the point is that if everybody could appreciate all these different parts, then everything could go on more smoothly. So I'm going to share what I think are four basic steps to build harmony in our own life and family and in the world. And they're just based on simple musical concepts. The first one is stewardship. When I came to learn classical music, it was years after playing other kinds of music, rock and, and jazz and so on. My classical guitar teacher asked where I wanted to start. I said, I want to start from the beginning. He said, okay, well then let's practice holding the guitar. And it's very basic, but taking care of the guitar, holding the guitar and keeping it safe in its case is important and if we think of our body as an instrument we have to learn the art of self-care I think this is difficult for a lot of people because they don't have a good sense of who they are when you think you are your instrument because we talk about our body as if we're identified with it I'm sick I'm tall I'm short I'm a man I'm a woman that all implies identification with our body instrument so if you don't like that instrument, you don't like yourself, it really becomes hard to take care of yourself. And if you think what has happened to that instrument, whatever failures or whatever you have been victim to, 
it can really make it seem like my instrument's pretty broken and I don't think I can ever love it or make something beautiful with it. But if we could just shift this awareness to that of stewardship, it means you have a space to work with and you're not that space. You have a life and you're like the gardener of your life. I think it becomes easier to do the kind of self-care that's needed if you're not identified with the body. Like I can clean my car, I can clean my house, even though I know there's better cars and better houses. And I can do that and eventually find joy in tending to that space because there's no point where I think I am the car or I am my home. But stewardship actually reveals that you're not your body. If you can take care of it, if you can observe it, if you know, it's something that you can behold with your senses, then it can't be you. Whatever is mine is not me. And then it, it leads to being able to take further steps towards this realization that I'm talking about. Let me just share a few more tips like for taking care of this body. We gotta, we gotta rest. People don't know how to rest anymore and the technology makes it harder and harder to rest. Since smartphones, insomnia has risen to 33% in America, one out of three people. It's largely due to all the light that's hitting our eyes and reducing our production of melatonin. So we need to have a little bit of discipline with our routine with rest. It's so important to get sleep that if you get six hours or less, you are at significant risk of major diseases like cancer. This connection is so strong that the World Health Organization deems night shifts to be carcinogenic now and wants those warnings to go out to people. I, I could testify to the health risk involved with working overnight. I worked a night shift for four years straight. It was in the prime of my youth and still is like one of the most unhealthy times of my life. Um, but sometimes you can't do anything about this. Like if you have a child or you have to work odd hours to take care of your family, you may not be able to manage for some time, but as soon as you can, get yourself back into a rhythm. Some kind of rhythm that is in harmony with the earth, like we're talking about harmony tonight. You need to nourish your body. A friend of mine put this in a very wise way, that we just need to try to eat the rainbow more. And kids get conditioned to really enjoy one color with their food, beige. Fries, chicken nuggets, pizza, pasta, bread, cereal. So we need red, orange, yellow, green, blue. Fruits, vegetables, and more fresh food. And then we need to uh, move. We don't move enough. The more you move, the more you can detox also. The lymphatic system in the body is activated in two ways. This is the body's sewage system. Through movement, and through deep breathing. So that's the next one, breathe more, consciously breathe more. The lymphatic system is like the circulatory system minus the pump. So it works more like a vacuum and it's activated by moving around and by deep, deep breathing. There are 21,000 breaths per day that we take on average. How many of those are conscious? 
try to increase that number steadily, day by day, where you're not passively breathing with the lower part of the brainstem, but consciously breathing with the higher parts of the cortex, upper levels of the brain. This brings more oxygen to the body and to the bloodstream. This helps people to remove toxins, get toxins back into the sewage system and into the lymph nodes and into the excretory system and out of your body. This lymphatic system is so important. If it was not working, a person would die within 24 hours. It's so essential to being healthy. So those are just a few ways that we need to do a better job of taking care of our life, taking care of our body. And if you know that you're not the body, it's not a big deal. This is my instrument. It's a small instrument. There's bigger instruments, there's wider instruments, there's louder instruments, there's softer instruments. But I know how to take care of it. That's my job. If you cultivate this attitude of stewardship for your life, you can really become a great environmentalist. When you're working from the inside out, people will be inspired by you. But what we do is a little bit of a mistake, I think, is we go way out and we neglect what's at home first. And then there's no clear direction how to work. But the point is, where do we find this path if we're not working from the inside out? So it's like the, the instruction on the airplane to put your oxygen mask on first so that you know how to help others. When it's coming from the inside out, it really is much more authentic and much more believable. It is the logical next step after my affairs are in order to support everybody else. And people will feel that authenticity and it's very inspiring, I think. So the next one, after you know how to hold the guitar, would be to tune it. If you know anything about music, tuning is about aligning the strings with themselves. So before I could make music with anybody else, my own instrument has to be in tune. And the only way I can do that is if I tune out everything else and just listen to the sound of my own instrument. I mean, this has really important metaphor for life because people find I'm saying the right things, I'm doing the right things, I'm showing up in my relationship, but there's still friction. Well, if you're not in harmony with yourself, there's nothing you can say. You know, I tell this to clients and patients all the time. You could say all the right words, but if your energy is communicating something different, it just won't work. And tuning is all about aligning your own energy with the values that are meaningful to you. Inner peace, harmony, love. And when do you tune an instrument? As soon as you pull it out. Certainly before you start trying to play with others. I think of this as waking up in the morning. I'm pulling my instrument out of bed. I'm pulling my body out. And what happens? Well, most people just grab their phone and start scrolling through a news feed and get lost in that for about 45 minutes. And then you're behind. And then people are rushing into their day. Tune yourself by meditation. And the time to meditate would be when you get up, when you bring the instrument out, before you put it away, and also any time in between when you feel dissonant. Just like if I was playing in, in a concert and I realized my instrument's out of tune, I would step away. I would say, you guys keep going. Let me go to the back of the stage and get my instrument in tune again. 
And so we can do that throughout our day. It doesn't take long, it just takes a minute to step away, but you have to have the self-awareness to be able to do that. And there's always a space between thoughts. Thoughts are kind of like cars on a freeway. It may seem like you have racing thoughts and just one after another, but they're not overlapping. If you really watch this in meditation, you'll realize they may be racing, but they all have some space, just like on a freeway. They're not touching each other, but it starts to look like there's just an endless stream of them. If you look carefully, you'll find space in between. In that space is where you find inner peace, and expanding that space is what meditation is all about. And to tune, you have to go inward. You have to be introspective. The musician has to listen to the sound of their own strings and align it within itself. Only then can you harmonize with others. If you skip this step and you just start to play, it won't sound good. If you just sit down on a piano that's out of tune, even if you're playing the right chords, it sounds off. So we have to learn how to tune and we can uh, do this through our breath. You can think of your own breathing as the rhythm of your life. And we'll do this together. If you set your things down for a moment, sit straight, be comfortable. Close your eyes. And bring your attention to your breathing. For now, don't try to change anything. Just observe consciously. Notice how the air flows in and out, maybe through your nose or through your mouth. And notice the sensation of air passing through. You can notice your body expanding and contracting however it naturally does. Just observing. Then listen to the sound that the air makes as you breathe, which will be easier in your own quiet space. But for this, you may choose to breathe a little bit more deeply so you can hear it. When we pay attention to this, when you practice this tuning, this is the rhythm of your life. If that pattern of your breath is fast, chaotic, arrhythmic, then you know your life is out of tune in that moment. So breathe until it feels rhythmic again. Listen as if you were listening to the ocean, because the ocean has a soothing rhythm. Incoming breath is like an incoming wave. Your outgoing breath is like an outgoing wave. And it even sounds like it. And lastly, allow yourself to enjoy breathing. Just notice that it feels good to take in air, take in oxygen, to exhale carbon dioxide. 
then you can slowly resume your normal awareness and when you feel ready you can open your eyes and come back. So in a couple minutes you can center yourself, you can be self-aware, you can know where your energy is, what your energy is communicating and by realigning with your inner peace then you can stay true to what's authentic for you. And like I said, do this in the morning, do this at night, before, when you take the instrument out, before you put it away, and in between when you feel like you're falling out of tune. If you get into that simple habit, one minute in the morning, one minute at night, any minute in between, in eight weeks your whole life will be different, I promise. You'll see that everything is transformed. Your relationships, your work, your attitude, your ability to focus, your health, and you'll see that everything is better. Thirdly is melody. Melody comes from a Greek word, melodia, which means a pleasing or soothing passage. The melody, I think, with the body instrument is how we express ourselves to each other. What words I choose to say. I mean, if you think about this, it's important to know what you want to communicate to the world. Otherwise, we're just blindly reacting to everything that happens to us. To know ahead of time, I'm a person that wants to communicate love and kindness and appreciation to you, then that's my challenge no matter what happens. Otherwise, if I'm going to deviate from that every time somebody else is playing a different part, then I'm not self-empowered. To be kind only if you're going to be kind to me first is not the real kindness. That's just a business transaction. Okay, here we go, you give me, I give you. To be kind, even if the world's not kind, that's the real kindness. And psychologists can only study these values and these virtues when under strain. Nobody's courageous if there's nothing to be afraid of. We would measure courage by how dangerous the situation is and how effectively the person's able to go forward. You can only know how kind a person is if they're under strain if people are mean, if the world is cruel. That's how you find out what the person's character truly is. And by being in those environments and coming out kind, you really grow yourself. You really grow your character. And that's the only way to grow your character. You can't build muscles without straining them. The same principle that applies to our physical development applies to our psychological development. So, in a melody, you have a series of notes that are pleasing and it takes time to really be able to understand how to make a melody as a musician. Many musicians never know how to write their own melody, they know how to play other melodies and this is an important part of becoming an artist is really understanding what is beautiful about what my predecessors have said and how can I retell that in my own authentic way. A melody contains notes, not just notes though, it also contains silence. If there was no silence in a melody, you wouldn't even have a melody. But what we recognize more easily is the sound, and what we fail to hear is the silence. And I think together they form almost like this yin and yang, two types of energies. Sound is masculine, silence is feminine. Why is sound masculine? Because the sound is penetrating. The ear is feminine. I'm not talking about man and woman, I'm talking about yin and yang. To speak, 
is to put something out into the space. To listen is to be receptive. And those two things have to come together, not in men and women, inside of the individual. I have to have my own balance of speaking in silence, of intimacy and solitude and so on. And when you listen to a melody, it's nice to really pay attention to that, that you're also hearing the silence wrapped around each tone. And without that, there isn't even a melody. And then the fourth step is harmony. So if you get through these three, then a person is actually ready to harmonize with others. Because you have to know how to express yourself beautifully before you could make something else sound more beautiful. That's the only role of harmony, to make others more beautiful. And to do that, the person has to perform a part that's actually quite boring. If you were to separate it from the melody and just listen to the harmony in a song, it wouldn't really be so meaningful. It would seem boring and uh, not as catchy. But when you separate the harmony from songs you love, that melody doesn't quite have the same life. It starts to sound a little bit more dull. And to do this, though, you have to have humility. For a person to want to sing harmony means that they're willing to be a little bit in the background. That's why harmony has a higher function in music theory. Similarly, in life, a person who's harmonious is really a lot more spiritually elevated. They've gotten over themselves. They're, they're getting out of their own way. Great singers could do this and could sing harmony quite naturally and were quite comfortable singing harmony because they didn't have as much ego. In bands, in music, everybody wants to sing the melody, everybody wants to play the melody, everybody wants to take the solo because it's up front and you get more of the appreciation. Very few people want to make that sound more beautiful and be in the background. I remember in David Byrne's book, uh, the lead singer of the Talking Heads, his book's called How Music Works. He's obviously a charismatic and flamboyant frontman, but he talked about this one tour where they had a huge ensemble and everybody wore white and looked exactly the same. I can't remember the name of the tour off the top of my head, but he felt like that was the best music he ever made. And he liked it so much because he wasn't out in front. He felt like he was part of the whole. And because he became a, a harmonious part of the ensemble, he got to experience for the first time what it's really like to feel like you're part of the whole. When you're the soloist, you really feel like you're separate. And this is where I think the paradox is. To want to be bigger than you are or more important than you actually are, actually shrinks you. Ego actually shrinks us. To be able to get out of our own way and surrender to the larger picture, you become bigger. So humility isn't like putting yourself down. Humility is about really feeling like, I'm not just this limited, separate entity in the universe. I'm really part of the big picture. And harmony actually allows you to feel that. The best feeling I've ever had performing is just being like lost in the sound. To just have the music flowing and now there's no more, nothing more for me to do, especially in an improvised segment of the performance where you don't even know what's going to happen or what's gonna, where it's going to go, but you're also not worried about it either. You're not obsessed with what's already happened and you're not ahead of yourself. If you do either of those things, everything starts to fall apart. 
when everybody's just riding that wave in the band, it's pretty awesome. And so this is the experience of harmony. You get to feel like you're part of something larger. I got a book called Earth. It's from 1929, I think. To me, this feels like Indian spirituality, and it's coming from, from a Western thinker. So in this book, this man talks about his travels throughout the world. The opening line is so simple, and it says, Here is my life, all that I found on earth, all that I did, all that I am, all that I know and feel. And so he goes on to describe just in a very matter-of-fact way what he experienced and what he saw. So I'll just read a couple lines of that, but then the book goes on to talk about what he calls a vision of the earth. So a future where things are in harmony. So we'll, we'll come to that. But just to give you a taste of how he describes his wanderings, it sounds like this. I wandered about the earth meeting all sorts of people, and I lived in every kind of place, doing all manner of work. Of the people that I met, only one was completely and unalterably happy. Indeed, I observed that most of them did whatever they did because of fear. Fear of life or fear of death, or fear of afterlife or after death, so that they piled up possessions if they could, hid from sight their personal affairs, covered their risk by reasonable precautions, denied their inmost longings, or became deeply religious or even thoughtful. He talks about marriage too and relationships. In some parts of the world, numbers of men and women pass their lives devoid of intimate friendships. This is why I think it's good to have gatherings like this because we have this need, we have this need to be together and to connect deeply. It's a very basic human need. It's one of the strongest predictors of premature death. Not enough social interaction, not just social interaction, but meaningful connection. People became uncertain about the bonds of matrimony. And there were those who asked, is marriage a failure? Commonly happy beginnings were followed by a carelessness in relationship, which fast grew to friction or boredom. While sometimes individuals who were physically and mentally unsuited to each other found themselves tied together for life. Unfaithfulness became so widespread as to excite but little remark. Again and again, married couples only held their homes together for the sake of the children, or as a matter of convenience. In some countries, large families were the rule, while in others, people by taking precautions avoided increase. And there were those who had children for their own pleasure, but who afterwards told them that they ought to be grateful. Numbers of people began to find no meaning in life and to ask each other what it was all about. So then in part two, there's a vision for the future which really resonates with me and what we're talking about here tonight in terms of building harmony. So I'll read this. I see a new earth, an earth that is alive, glowing with the care of man, man grown wise and free. 
The influence of different civilizations flows evenly around. Races and nations and sexes understand each other and do each other with life. Invisible threads of sympathy cover the earth. Science and religion, art and industry are one in truth. The motive of every act is love. Men accept men and women accept women and they accept each other at sight because of the ways of them, because of the understanding in their hearts. O oh, work and love and laughter, happy crowds, lights and colors, movements, beauty, joy, the people of every land are at liberty to go where they will. The government of the earth is as one, peace reigns. In work is freedom of expression. In their faces is the calm of all experience. In their eyes is friendliness and peace. They sing as they work. They follow their desires. They are in love with life. The rules are the wisest of men and women, those who have creative power and a sense of fitness, so that life moves with all the delight and perfection of which mankind is capable. Man and woman, the flower of the earth, certain and frank, strong and graceful, with the look of gods, the hand clasp of friends, having dignity and intuition, being clear and content, radiating energy and love, masters of themselves, laughing and happy, changeable and free. The towns are beautiful, centers of communication and exchange of thought and energy, of knowledge, merchandise and fun. Happy towns where art and entertainment are poured out in every varying form, where truth is spread abroad. I hear music, clear, subtle, strong, ever-changing, ever-new, ever-evolving in form, sounding out life's meaning and life's rhythm, wherein I lose myself. And marriage? Marriage is love, heart love, soul love, body love, a state which all the world conspires to promote as common as the stars. Art is the eager growth of the earth, creations of love made in joy and gusto, spread throughout the world. Dwellings are lovely and agreeable, healthy and open. Buildings grow into forms that express their meaning in keeping with their surroundings, in relation to their materials, suitable to their use, strong, simple, fine. Life is a dance, a movement of body and mind in concert with the rhythm of the earth, a feast in which all take part, the perfect expression of emotion. Finally, life is a triumph and a dance, a love song and a harmony, born into the rhythm of the earth. It dawns in sleepiness and wonder, and the morning of it grows in freedom to the need of doing things. Romance outruns reality while imagination strews the way with flowers until youth comes of age, then opens into life, wisdom and the happiness of work well done, the joy of being a creator, the grace of perfection, the calm of fulfillment, and all the pleasure of the earth until the evening and in the dusk man sets out again upon his road in peace. So when I reflect on this, I think about how important it is to do this stewardship, to start out with the stewardship in my own life. I used to fast a lot. I used to deny myself a lot of 
physical comfort and pleasure so as to develop myself spiritually. There was a time when I would fast every single week, at least one day out of the week, and I was really underweight. But nowadays, I think back on that and I, I laugh a little bit because to me, denying myself or indulging myself is like the same thing. To take too much in greed is to deny somebody else enough. And to deny myself is to leave one flower in the garden unattractive. And so I might do that when I think I am the body. When I realize the body is mine to take care of, I don't want to do it that way anymore. Balance, I think, is the key. And creating harmony with your own life allows you to build from there. It doesn't take a whole lot of people to transform a society. It doesn't take much to transform a culture. A few people can really turn an organization around. I think that if we continue to do that, if we continue to meet in spaces like this, get some inspiration from each other, take it back to our homes and our jobs, and lead by example, lead with goodness, influence with goodness, communicate with insight to the people in our life, it'll have such a ripple effect. All of us can contribute a part or a verse in the symphony as described in this vision of a new earth.